How's it, how's it? My name is Mark Haystek and you're listening to the Birding Life Youth Podcast. The last episode was about iNaturalist, where I had Justin Ponder, Jonathan Breitenbach and Tristan Spurrow on to talk to me about this social media app for naturalists. Today's episode was actually a recording of the chat we had after we'd finished off with the initial episode and this ended up progressing into an episode of its own. It went more about iNaturalist, but we branched off into different sorts of biodiversity topics, the less appreciated animal species, conservation problems and opportunities that are arising, biobashing that each of us have done in our home provinces, and new species that a couple of us have come across. Hello, dudes. So listen, Jonathan, Justin, you guys have joined already. We're just waiting for Tristan. Uh, I just searched on our naturalist, Tristan's uh, fish species that he told me about called Chiloglanus pretoria. It only occurs in Mozambique, South Africa, Swaziland, and Zimbabwe, but only in like a small area of that. And it's like super cool. It's called an, an upside down catfish. You'll see. Okay. I want to wait for Tristan to jump in here because this is his mojo. Here he oh, is. Oh, Chiloglanus. Just Tristan. Yes, sir, bro. Um, it, it says, it's, where's it only found like in, it says here, I just searched it on INAT. Okay. Yes. Species of upside down catfish native to Mozambique, South Africa, Swaziland, and Zimbabwe. Uh, what is an upside down yep. catfish, man? So an upside down catfish is, it's, it's, feather, it's it includes a whole lot of genuses, featherfin cats, all sorts. So, they're quite strange because they're bicolored where they've got a dark belly and typically their, their um, I don't know, upper parts are a lot brighter colored and that's because they actually swim upside down. I mean, you can keep them in aquariums as well and you literally watch them and they, they spend most of their life even just hovering upside down under a log and things. Extremely fascinating. Oh, yes, sir. That is um, incredible. Yeah, but um, these chiloglanus are, are specialized. So they're called rock suckers colloquially. Um, yeah. And they, they specialize to, to, yeah, I mean, feed on algae and things. Yeah, because like I see the other name here for chiloglanus pretoria is the short spine sucker mouth. Yeah, well, there you go. Is it like sucks algae or what? Yeah, they, 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 so you, if you look on, so I'm looking at images here. So you look on the, on the under jaw, on the bottom of the jaw there, there's, I mean, on the front of the jaw there, there's a lot of like very sharp teeth there. Mm, I don't know if you can see that. Those like, they're like, they're like hardened, yeah, teeth like stuff. So they use that to scrape off the algae and they feed on it. Yeah. Sure. And I'm looking at the observations here on iNaturalist and they get, they're like six centimeters long. Yeah. These tiny little fish. Very interesting. Yes. Yeah, it's about the same yeah, length so, as like the it's about the same length as like the red fins and the galaxias we have here in the Western Cape. Yeah, so it's they actually would be great in a in a um aquarium sense. Um and that's where South Africa has a very unlike obviously I'm not a big fan of harvesting straight from the wild, but for breeding, um we could actually do well with uh fish farms producing producing these fish for export. Wait, do you really you think uh you think these would be good to eat? No, not eating. Uh, <laughs> aquariums. For aquariums, okay. Yeah, yeah. I wonder if they would do that because they've got yeah. If I have a look at the Chiloglanus um, Pretoria species, they say it occurs in South Africa, Swaziland. Um, yes, uh, I think Botswana and Mozambique or something. But the only iNaturalist observations are in Limpopo and yes. Pretoria, 
and um, Mpumalanga. So the, only the north part of South Africa, like that, only that little section is not not in any other country. Is there an observation on INAT? Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm not surprised. I mean, INAT's not really used too much uh, mm. out of the country, mm. um, and especially fish wise. I mean, I mean, how many how many fish fish lovers do you know? Like freshwater fish. <laughs> I'm a fish lover. I'm just very early stages of development. I will get you there. I've got like one yeah. fish observation on our naturalist. <laughs> yeah, but it's a sick one. Cape Galaxus. So you know about um, that species. Where does it... Pardon? What, so you know about Cape Galaxus, even though it occurs in my province and not yours. Yeah, yeah. No, I've, I've, I've read that. There's a, there's a book to freshwater fish. It's out of print now. Um, oh, yeah. One of my, I think my, my uncle has it. So I sat there reading it back to front over and over again. Nice. And then and then basically from there I just jump between Wikipedia pages. I mean this entire Wikipedia page is dedicated to the freshwater fish of Southern Africa. But it's very they like there's a lot of stuff that's left out and a lot of dead ends. I see the, yeah, the common so, name common name for Galaxius or well, the Cape the Galaxius is um Cape Zebra. <laughs> well, I'm looking at Galaxius yeah. zebratus. I'm not sure if that's the same species. Yeah. Uh, I, I actually don't know my scientific names too well. Okay, fish. okay. Uh, <laughs> take a look, yeah. yeah, well, this one does occur all over the Western Cape. And I, I have seen this one in the, the stream in the botanical gardens, which is cool. That's so cool. I was just herping one day looking for frogs in the in the stream. And all of a sudden, I see this, you know, this tadpole that looks like a fish. And at that stage, yeah. it was like a year and a half ago. I didn't know that there was such an interesting area of uh, organisms like freshwater fish in streams and things so it's very interesting sure. to me that there's these tiny little fish that occur in streams like in mountainous areas and stuff so yeah um i've only got like one or two observations of freshwater fish and that's the galaxias and the red fins um, but i have a friend his name's ludwig he he's he's a full-on botanist and justin and i hang out with him sometimes and he he's also really into his his western cape freshwater fish so he he okay. He's kind of influenced me a bit, a bit in this uh, um, area of nature. Yeah, I mean, the, the, that's what makes me sad about our freshwater fish is that, uh, firstly, they are under a lot of pressure. Most of our rivers are not not too lacquer unless you're going upstream, and not enough people really care about them. I mean, so so I'll I'll challenge you to to search another another fish now, but this is not even a fish you'd expect. For there to be in South Africa, but it's, yes, it's I got my a rainbow, ready. a rainbow killifish, right? Killy. So, so yeah, K I K I L L I. Rainbow, K I K I L L I. Yes. Fish. Okay, rainbow killy. Okay, here we go. Mm, yeah. Rainbow killifish. It says here. Yes. Okay, well, it doesn't occur in South Africa. My bad. Got to fix the filter there. Ooh, no, it's not. Um, it hasn't uploaded properly to iNaturalist. They don't have sufficient data. Yeah. So, so is this so some like really under described species of fish? Uh, it's not 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 particularly under described, but it's under recorded in South Africa because you get them in the um, Limpopo Basin or the Limpopo Valley. Um, they are very interesting in the fact that they are like perennial fish, basically. So they wait for for um, floods to occur. They breed in these pans. Then when the pans they lay the eggs, when the pans dry out, the eggs dry out. Then a whole new batch comes when it rains again. They they only live for a year. Yeah, and they're extremely popular in the aquarium trade. Okay, sure. No, I was actually watching a webinar while I was waiting for you guys to come online this evening um, in <laughs> the previous episode. Um, and it was on the pet trade of parrots in Africa. And yes, like they said that African gray parrots since 2012, 
I think it is, have dropped from least concern status to endangered, and they their population decreased ninety percent at least. That's crazy, yeah. Insane. Yes. I hate I hate pet trade. I don't actually want a dog when I get older. The, the thing is, okay, so with a parrot and a bird, yeah, there are a whole lot of different issues. Um, with fish, um, I, I'm not a big fan of of uh, unscrupulous collecting. I mean, collect a few individuals, breed them in in uh, good conditions in a farm, and then bring them into the trade. And that's just purely because the the fish trade has actually saved countless species from extinction. Um, I actually myself have kept a species that, that is extinct in the wild in Asia, but it's like quite common in the pear trade because people breed them in their aquariums. And I mean, I, I know of countless species like that uh, in terms of fish. Sure, that's interesting. Now, it's, it's, it's interesting. It's a different approach to look at things. Um, and I think for, for many people like bunny huggers, it's a sensitive topic, you know, whether to keep indigenous fish or wild fish or pet trade this, pet trade that. But that's like what irritates me is, you know, snowy owls and things like that where people keep them as pets. But it is a sensitive topic. Um, it's slightly related to poaching and, you know, uh, conservation hunting and stuff like that where people actually hunt rhinos for good reasons that have bad effects as well and so on and so forth. And if you don't look at the whole situation properly, you can misjudge it and get really angry and emotional and start telling people, oh, no, you're, you're doing illegal things. You're killing wild animals that are in danger and stuff. But on the other hand, you know, they have reasons for it, such as, uh, I don't know. I don't, I don't want to say the wrong reasons, but I recently got in, interested and involved in these sort of conversations. And it's, there's, you know, there's ups and downs to both sides of the story and like things like pet trade, uh, uh, captive breeding of wild and, and indigenous fauna and flora um, and hunting as well. Like the rhinos, I don't know. I, I heard something about, you know, hunting old rhinos uh, so that's or something like that. I, I I don't know. Hey, can you guys fill in something here? Um, I don't know a lot about it. So yeah, I mean, you, you're bound to open up a can of worms with this conversation. Um, oh, yeah. You've got people on both sides. It's like it's like trying to start the conversation uh, that cats are bad for the environment. Um, cats. But yeah, yeah, yeah. That's no, cats are flipping very... bad for the environment. Oh, yeah, I would yeah. never get yeah, a cat. Yeah, but... I'm a birder. I'm but, not but a cat don't... mother. <laughs> okay, <laughs> no, sorry. On, on continue, media. continue what you were going to say. Um, okay. But yeah, I mean, I, I've had this discussion countless times, um, especially in terms of rhino. I mean, not rhino, elephant culling, um, because people don't realize the. I don't know if you've ever been to the Kruger yourself, um, but even just with the, with the with the naked eye, you can really, really see the amount of damage these elephants do and the habitats that they are destroying. And yeah, I understand us humans also make make uh, make it harder for them because they can't uh, migrate. But you've got to deal with it. We we've created the issue and we have to deal with it as well. Um, and people and I are saw just too figures. sensitive now. Yeah, one hundred percent. And I and I saw those figures of what they're allowing uh, to be hunted. And I mean, leopard not an issue. They like it depends where you are. Um, leopards are are fairly widespread. They might be in lower numbers. Um, but if it's a problem animal and you're making money off of it, that can go towards conservation. I don't see an issue. Rhino, I do see an issue. I think we're rather translocate. And elephants, if you're making money off of them, if the community is getting their food and the money is going towards conservation, I do not see an issue. Yeah, you, you make relevant points there. And I think you, one needs to listen to what you just said very intensively and carefully with no one-sided mind because immediately when you said something there, like my mind went, oh, what's he saying? And then I realized, no, he's got a good point there. Um, 
yeah, that no, that's also a conversation I've had with someone before. I've mentioned that, you know, and I've also heard conversations where people talk about how, you know, the over there is an overpopulation of elephants in the Kruger National Park. And as you said, if they do cull them uh, to make money off, then, you know, that is like, it's like breeding sheep in a cooped up, it's, it's it, comparing it to breeding cattle in a cooped up environment on a farm where they just get fed fodder for a hundred days and then, you know, get, that's their whole life. Okay. Well, they're not done it for a hundred days, more like chickens. And then they get stuffed and um, prepared to get slaughtered. And that's their whole life done and dusted. Whereas the elephants are, you know, they're living in an environment. We created the problem by fencing off the natural environment of the low felt, stopping the natural migrations of many species of animals, which alters the ecosystem and the flow of the natural environment. So as you said, we've created the problem us as humans by putting fences up. Now we got to somehow control the the mayhem that our uh, actions have created that, which is the overpopulation of elephants and um, them having to deal with a certain area at a certain season. And look, I'm no, I'm no elephant biologist, but I, I guess I'm getting the gist of it here. Uh, they have to deal with a, a certain areas, vegetation during a certain season where perhaps they were supposed to migrate. So yeah, in my Kruger trip in 2020, I experienced, you know, the elephant sightings there. They are everywhere, literally. Oh my word. All along the watercourses, breaking down trees, ripping branches off. You see broken down trees all over the place where there's no elephants in sight because they've moved out the area. And they're possibly creating, well, no, they are very slowly, but whether it's a problem right now or not, they are creating a bigger savanna habitat than it should naturally be because there's an overpopulation in the park. So yeah, I guess that relates to what you're saying. And in the end, it also it puts other species at risk as well. So keeping the elephants could put several different plants and tree species at risk. And then, yeah, I mean, there's all the other animals that rely on it could also be at risk. Mm. Look, guys, no, I, I think mean, I'm going to lay this out now. I don't think even if some of us may not stand for this or may stand for this we should not like um we won't i don't think any of us should uh state that we agree with killing or culling animals uh to this degree or that degree uh but let's just discuss it with open minds um and and say you know these are the advantages these are the disadvantages and at the end of the day you and i all of us can sort of not state what we think um, is right, but we can weigh out the advantages and disadvantages in this discussion. I think you know what I mean, because it's easy for one yeah, of us so. to, to say, you know, I believe we should cull all the elephants in Kruger, and then a whole lot of people just say, it's a very controversial opinion. Yeah, yeah, unfortunately. So I can already tell you, I'm I'm always more of a fan of translocation, um, with with regard to any animal. Um, I I. I'm not a fan of hunting myself, uh, and culling is not. I don't see that see culling to be the the best way because you're also traumatizing, especially in elephant herds. If you flying a helicopter over and, and clapping an old male or something, or I mean, old old female or whatever, um, right. you're traumatizing all the elephants around them as well. Right. I think um, yeah. So I'm, yeah, I think we can all agree with that. Yeah. Yeah, and I mean, it's expensive to translocate, but I think where possible, uh, it's always the best thing to to go mm -hmm. with. And I mean, you can still make money off of that for conservation because you can sell that animal to to uh different parks etc yeah the problem is that there's just no money going into conservation anymore there was i think the south africa south african government used to be sponsoring sand parks 
something up to like 100 million a year and then they, they've stopped that now because of COVID. Really? So hey? Parks isn't getting much funding at all. Yeah, it's, man, it's so the African National Parks very, is the National Reserve Institute, if I can say. It's, it's, it's owned by the government um, and should I say financed by the government, supposedly. Now that they've stopped supporting sand parks as much as they used to they're getting even more money what what the heck are they doing oh, such a pity such a pity say i hope you enjoyed part one of this chit chat episode make sure to tune in next week for part two and don't forget to subscribe to the birding life and all your social media platforms and podcast players Until next time, happy birding and be blessed.